don't want to make the baby Jesus cry. Good morning, Father. Good morning, John Ray. Yeah, our <laughs> listeners. Just now they're the wondering what we were talking about. Don't want to make Jesus cry. We can't tell them because we're in con- we're in the confession. Yes. <laughs> we can't make things publicly known in the confession. No, not at all. You would never record in the confession. <laughs> <laughs> Turn on our, our oh, light yeah, switch sure, yeah. now that people know that we're recording in our confession. <laughs> so the, the light that indicates for our listeners who aren't here present when we're recording, the light on the confessional um, that indicates that somebody would be in here receiving the sacrament of penance um, is also our on-air recording, Don't Enter Light. I kind of like it. Oh, 100%. Maybe we should put an on-air thing right above it. I'll talk to the electrical engineering consultant who did the church. We're having conversations about a yeah. multitude of things right now. Yeah, why, why not just, we'll just add, add that it. on yeah. for old time's sake? <laughs> Beyond the homily recording in progress. So we were talking about the National Eucharistic Revival. Yeah, this is... Um, First, our, our homilies this past weekend were based on the Eucharist, right? So we are um, six sacraments down. The last one is confirmation. What's interesting is that we are in, the whole United States is in what's called a national Eucharist. I like how y'all saved the scariest sacrament for last. Confirmation? Yeah, we'll talk about that next week and why I think it's the scariest. But Okay. In and a good way, not like in a scary way. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of holiness. Well, so, and the and the Holy Spirit, when you follow His promptings, whew, it's a it's a so, wild ride. Yeah. Okay, so, so Eucharist. That's not what we're talking about today. The Eucharist <laughs> is what our homilies were geared to uh, this weekend. Now, last weekend. Yes, this past weekend. This is beyond the homily. It's after the homily. Yeah. To record before our homily is given, you gotta got to give us some time to make the homily first. <laughs> so this one, beyond the homily, this past weekend, our homilies were based off of the Eucharist, explaining that uh, king of all the sacraments, the apex of, of them all, this Eucharist is the highest sacrament of all the sacraments because it not only confers God's grace, but it also contains the author of all grace, mm. right? Jesus himself. The Eucharist is not something, but someone. So it is the crown jewel of all the sacraments. Since being here, Father Brady and myself have preached pretty consistently on the Eucharist. In fact, when I first got here, we did a five-week preaching series on the Eucharist, like just on the Eucharist, five weeks. Um, And I've given multiple conferences on the Eucharist since being here at this parish and at other parishes. So the Eucharist is something we talk about very frequently. When I was at my confirmation retreat, um, as a junior in high school, uh, Father, our pastor, was given the talk, and he essentially said that if the Eucharist isn't Jesus, if the Eucharist isn't who we as Catholics claim it to be, then we might as well all go home because our whole faith has been built on a lie. Yeah. No, he's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was it? Uh, I'm forgetting her name. She was, uh, our listeners are going to like be so surprised that I'm with this one because she was a prolific American writer and a very Catholic. And she was the queen of like symbolism. She, uh, I mean, she's a very famous writer. I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Um, But she was, she used symbolism 
better than probably anyone else in history. She and um she was attending a banquet and they said um uh, she they knew that she was Catholic and she was very practicing, very faithful. Uh and they said, Oh, the Eucharist, that what a beautiful symbol. And then she who's very shy, right? She just kind of she said in a very low turn, a low voice, because she is so shy, that if the Eucharist is just a symbol, then to hell with it. Mm. And that's coming from the person that knew about symbolism probably better than anyone else. So we're in the middle of this national Eucharistic revival. I was I was just talking with uh, John Ray, and he said he didn't really hear that much about it, which is awesome for our conversation because now you could ask legitimate questions that maybe some of our listeners have and it's no surprise because we are going into year two of this national eucharistic revival and the first year was just and so if we're midway through then that means that it's a two-year revival a three-year okay so then we're not midway through yet we're almost halfway there (laughs) almost halfway there um we're beginning the last leg of the climb to get to the top to yes. go down. So let me let me kind of just preface. Let me kind of start with the beginning with this one. The National Eucharistic Revival was started last year, and it is a response from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, all the bishops of the United States. This is a response to something. The National Eucharistic Revival is a response to several what we'd call catastrophes. In 2019, there was a poll done that said that almost 70%, a little bit over 69% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. That is a catastrophe. Uh, There have been sexual scandals, not only with the clergy, but the lay faithful who work on behalf of the church. That is a moral catastrophe. There have been liturgical abuses, like in the Mass and stuff, uh, priests uh, and lay people doing what they're not supposed to do. And yeah, doing what they're not supposed to do, and the things they're supposed to do, they're not doing. That is a liturgical catastrophe. Um, there are not only lay faithful, not only priests, but even bishops who do not believe totally the Catholic faith. That is a catastrophe of faith. There there are a number of, it's like a a hurricane of different deep-seated problems happening within the church. What's unique is that the church has withstood all of these things before in the past, all of them, and has given responses to all of them. What's unique is that right now, the church is going through all of them at the same time. That's never been done before, where the church is withstanding all of these storms that require immense, uh, like an immense response, but it's happening all at the same time not only of all these catastrophes, but people are leaving the church in droves. Not just the Catholic church, right? But every, any denomination. They just, they just don't care. Like lukewarmness. 
so what do you do? I was listening to something with Bishop Robert Barron, who I try to stay, you know, uh, in contact with in regards to, like, I listen to his things. He calls you up to ask your opinion on things? A few times, you know. He asked me for to translate a few words. No, he does not. Uh, <laughs> Bishop he, Robin Bar- Robert Barron with Word on Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of a, um, a very prolific um, bishop that does online uh, ministry. He... Uh, he said that whenever he became a bishop, they had meetings about consolidation with different parishes, and that's needed. It's needed in our diocese. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said, for every plan of cons- uh, consolidation of like reducing this, he said, he, we, I want a plan of expansion. He said, I refuse to be a bishop over the closing of our churches. I refuse to be a bishop that oversees the closing of our parishes and churches. Um, and that's the response. That's the proper response. So with all these catastrophes going on that I listed and more, what is the church's response to all these things? The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which is essentially all the bishops of the United States, said, well, the solution to every single problem in the entire world is contained within the Eucharist. And he's right. So the response that they gave is that they're going to have a national Eucharistic revival. So why would they make that statement, that exclamation of the Eucharist is the solution to everything? Because, this, because it's Jesus. The reason why anything goes awry is because it's fallen away from Christ. It doesn't matter what it is. The solution to every single problem, great or small, is in the Eucharist. Every single problem. Because the Eucharist contains Jesus. And the closer, and and when we fall away from Jesus, bad things will happen. And not because it's a, I mean, it's a punishment, but it's a natural punishment. Right? I can't expect to run away from home at like 10 years old and then wonder why I'm not living in a mansion mm. at, at, you know, in a month. No, bad things are going to happen. You got to live in the real world. That, that we are not a business, but a supernatural entity, the body of Christ. And so when the body of Christ gets away from the head, which is Jesus, well, the body without a head, you got problems. So, the response is this National Eucharistic Revival. The National Eucharistic Revival is a three-year process. The first year is actually almost done. And it's no, it's no surprise that our listeners, even, even you, John Ray, who's really so in touch with the church, uh, haven't heard, hasn't heard about it because... Well, it's not that I haven't. I mentioned I have a friend that's Mm -hmm. uh, a former Life Teen staff member who's working on the Eucharistic. I just, to be able to, for me to be able to articulate exactly what it is, I wouldn't be able to do that. Well, it's it's no surprise because this first year has actually not been advertised at all. And it was only meant for bishops. 
mm. and for priests. And they said to pray and do penance during this time because the revival has to happen on multiple levels. And if the shepherds aren't being revived, then the sheep won't either. Mm. If the shepherds aren't getting fed, then the sheep won't either. So this first year has been kind of hyper-focused in regards to like the diocese, like that kind of the leadership of every diocese mm -hmm. to pray and discern how they're going to enact that within their own parishes locally. That this first year will end with Corpus Christi. Which is coming up. Yep. June the 11th. With June the 11th, it will begin the second year. We went to the diocesan level, and now the second year will be the parish level, which is where everyone will begin to hear about it. On this parish level, it should be felt across the United States. On the parish level is whenever you will see it in the bulletin, you will hear it in homilies, we're going to have programs available, we're going to actually, we're doing ministry in response to this. Now it's... So what are some of the things that we have planned? Mm -hmm. Well, for us, I had a meeting with kind of our leadership team because with the diocese and this on a national level, they're asking that every single parish have what's called a Eucharistic point person, a person in charge of enacting the, uh, this Eucharistic um, year for the parish. Uh, I am the, the Eucharistic point person for our parish. So Couldn't I find anybody better, huh? Well... That's, uh, you know, we're <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel, people, but uh, it, it's encouraging. All right, we'll make it work. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, look, God can work even with broken. If God could use a donkey, right, he could use me. Uh, but I was talking with our leadership team, and I've get, I, I gave several recommendations. I'll, I'll say a few of them. Um, but I told them that, in humility, we, we should recognize that a lot of these studies and a lot of the responses and a lot, especially like the liturgical crisis, the, uh, the belief in the Eucharist crisis, all these things, I tell them, like, I know priests in other parts of the United States, even other parts of the, uh, Louisiana, and this is a very real thing. For our parish, the what it seems to be that the belief in the Eucharist runs deep and that our, our people have not, as far as I could tell, has not had a problem in regards to response. Our parish is very faithful. And it's, I think that's true across the board, almost across the board, if not completely, in regards to every parish in our diocese of Lafayette. Lafayette Diocese is the most Catholic diocese in the nation. In humility, we should thank not only our ancestors who came over here and shed their blood and forsook everything that they had in Nova Scotia to come here for one reason, their Catholic faith. In humility, we should recognize... And if, uh, just a clarity with our listeners... 
you wonder where Father gets that information. He's not just making up that Lafayette is the most Catholic. The Bourne Institute in 2017 did a study and released that study saying that Lafayette, Louisiana, um, um, had the highest percentage of Catholics um, per capita mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in the nation. Yes. So it's, there's an actual study and actual statistics that support Father's claim. Yeah. And even, and interesting enough, the highest percentage of black Catholics. Mm-hmm. Not New Orleans, not Chicago, not uh, nope. Lafayette, Louisiana. That doesn't mean we have the most Catholics in the U.S. It just means that by our population, Catholicism is the highest percentage of the mm-hmm. population. Yeah. You have a safe bet of anybody you meet, they're most likely a Catholic. Um, or a former Catholic. The... Um, so in humility, we should recognize not only our ancestors, our faithful great-grandparents, grandparents, parents that have so diligently passed on the faith, defended the faith, uh, remained in the faith, but also as a priest, in humility, I need to fully recognize that there have been absolute incredible priests in our diocese that leads these incredible people. Priests that have given their lives so selflessly, uh, that have, um, you know, so diligently taught the faith, uh, encouraged the faith, been a part of so many different families. I mean, I have people tell me all the day, how uh, every day that, you know, they were really close to this priest or that priest or this priest or that. That just doesn't happen everywhere. And so in our diocese, we should recognize that the faith is part of our culture here. But we can't take that for granted. Just like in ages past that they had to push for the faith, so should we. So the, the USCCB gives four recommendations on how to enact on this parish level. The four that they give is reinvigorating worship. That's the first one. It means... And reinvigorating worship for them means... So we're going to we're gonna reintroduce liturgical dance? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that what they say is that the priests actually celebrate Mass the way they're supposed to. This is something that really popped in my bubble when I left the Diocese of Lafayette. Not every parish, their priests actually praise the Mass. Not every... Almost every single diocese that I outside of the Diocese of Lafayette, does not offer confessions before Mass. The only time they offer confessions is by appointment. Not, not offered throughout the weeks. It's just by appointment only. Can you believe that? Hmm. And How spoiled are we? To me, I don't even understand that. I, I hear an hour of confessions every single day, nonstop. I, <laughs> I mean, what do you mean you offer it only by appointment only? Uh, to me, I just, I can't even wrap my head around that. But that's because our diocese is faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to nurture that and protect that. Um, and reinvigorating worship means that priests actually praise the Mass well. And it's not about your personality. It's not about uh, this or that. It's about offering the sacrifice of the Mass, Calvary that you're truly present at Calvary, that you do what the church asks you to do, and you don't try to invent 
new thing because it's not your prayer. Like in my personal prayer, I can change it. My personal prayer, I pray before I go to bed or when I wake up, I, I, ha- I have my prayers that I say I could change those. But when we're talking about the prayer of the church, it's not my personal prayer. It's the prayer of Jesus Christ to the Father. If Jesus, if, if I, if Jesus wanted the prayer to change, he would change it. We would have a council. Yep, we would change it. Uh, but since it's not my prayer, I do not have the authority to change it. A bishop doesn't have the authority to change it. Not even the Pope. And the Pope is the head liturgist of the whole world. The Pope and the bishops in union with the Pope have the authority to change underneath the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, we could go down a little history without getting into the weeds, but um, throughout the history of the church, the Mass has changed. Um, there have been different iterations of the Mass. There have been um, different things that were allowed and then things that were not allowed. In 2011, we released the new general instruction of the Mass, right? Um, and those were all through councils and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit chose to guide those bishops and the Pope at that time to make those changes. But day in and day out, we can't decide what the mass is and looks like today because the church has given that to us. Yes. So like even our structure of the mass has not changed ever, ever. So St. Justin Martyr, who, li- who I think died in like the year 110 or something like that, St. Justin Martyr gave us the structure of the Mass. You can look it up online. It's the exact same thing. It was laid out in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. But like, like, okay, you go from this to this, and then you do this, and then you do that, the priest does this. Like, the year 100, we had that, and it hasn't changed. Yeah. So reinvigorating worship is step one. It was beautiful to hear for our listeners who don't know that. Um, and since you didn't do your revelation series that we had talked about last year, um, uh, Scott Hahn, who's a famous theologian today in the church, um, is a convert to Catholicism. And he started when he was not Catholic attending daily mass. And as he sat there, he realized being a scripture scholar that he was watching the book of revelation unfold in front of him. The Mass is beautiful, so there's no need for us to change it. Mm. Uh, the second step is a personal encounter night, is what the, the bishops call for. Essentially what they're asking is that we, you, your parish offer adoration at least once a month. And you see, this is where some of our listeners may kind of chuckle. Uh, I mean, we have adoration every single day. And, and, and in our church, we already offer a few nights, like in the main body of the church where we invite the whole parish, right? Because in our adoration chapel, we can't fit the whole parish, but in our church, we just offer it for everyone. So they're asking for these personal encounter nights where people can actually encounter the Eucharist in adoration. Yeah. That's, uh, listening to some of these can just be so shocking. Right, because uh, that's just that hasn't been my experience of the church. And for clarity, um, we're not that personal encounter is to pers- 
to personally encounter the person who is in the Eucharist, right? It's not a, um, it's not an idol worship of the Eucharist, right? It's not idolizing the Eucharist. It is encountering Jesus who is the Eucharist, if that makes sense. It's, it's really, it's pushing for this idea that you as an individual, the, whoever's listening right now, talking to you, and imagine Father Poirier is sitting right next to you. The whole church is asking that you, as an individual, encounter Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm. I want you to know that if you were the only person to ever live in human history, that Jesus Christ would have still came down from heaven, died on the cross, and given you the Eucharist. And that you as an individual, not this whole theoretical idea, right? The whole world needs to do that. You as an individual, God wants you to encounter him in the Eucharist. On a the, very personal encounter. On the night that he died, when Jesus instituted the Eucharist, he did something that he could never do physically here on earth in human form. He gave himself to us to me, to Father Poirier, to you listening, to be able to receive. So that in the reception of him, his very self, we would be given the grace to become the saint, the person that he created us to be, and then to bring him to the world so that the world would know who he is. So with Your this parents per- told you you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. With... Following that, the third step is a robust faith formation, offering catechetical opportunities for your parish to learn about the Eucharist. Small groups, uh, talks given, whatever that looks like. Uh, homilies, good homilies, right? Because that's where most oh. people get their... We're going to have to go to Father Brady's masses. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast? You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so offering something so that your people can actually learn the faith, not in a dumbed-down way, not in a, like a, you know, a children, childish way, uh, but like in a, a robust way. You're talking to adults. You don't need to use your baby voice. Now, I'm not saying we have to, I have to explain, or I should be using words that were used in graduate school, but to explain the faith to adults and not to, like, my first graders at the Mm. school. So offering some type of faith formation for your parents. And then the final step, missionary sending. It is part of the church. This is inseparable from the church that our people actually evangelize, not just the priests, but every single person. You, missionary sending is not an option. Like, I'm just not really that good at it. You know, I'm kind of shy. There's different ways of missionary sending, but it is absolutely required by every single person, right? Because Jesus calls you. So, this missionary sending, you have to keep the faith, just not to yourself, right? And spreading the faith, teaching the faith, talking about the faith requires you to learn the faith. 
and to practice the faith. If you just keep the faith very hidden, secret, like within you, well, then there is no requirement for you to learn the faith or to, to study the faith or to even practice the faith. But as soon as you start to talk about it, now you have some type of kind of public pressure or accountability, probably a better way to put it, of practicing the faith. Parents experience this all the time whenever their kids start to ask questions about the faith. They're like, oh, man. I didn't know that. Or like, I don't know. So now you have to go find out so that you can tell your kid. And now, oh, well, look at there. You just learned something about the faith. And you just spread something about the faith. You just evangelized your kids. And, so, and look, like, we have to realize that in the United States, we are mission territory. Um, we have priests coming from Africa. And we have priests coming from India. And we, we're the mission field now. Right. Um, and how we are missionary, what we take out of mass when we're sent forth, because there's a sending at mass where, where, where once we receive the Eucharist, we're called to be Eucharistic. We're called to bring Jesus to the world. It's not necessarily about carrying your Bible around and preaching to people. It's by the way you live. Right. Um, for three and a half years now in my business, I've been cultivating a relationship with one of my colleagues. And we've had small conversations where this person's asked questions because of how I carry myself and how I live out my faith, not in a preachy way, but just being authentically who I am and authentically Catholic and authentically living out my relationship with Jesus. Um, It is actually attractive to people and they will ask questions. For three and a half years, I've answered small, subtle questions with this individual and we really haven't gotten to the heart of anything because this person's not ready for that conversation yet. And yet this person continues to ask questions because of who I am. So just be who you are and live in the world. And you are a missionary. You are an evangelist. You are a disciple. And people are going to ask questions because of how you live and how you carry yourself. Yeah, we have several people in our parish, John Ray being one of them, where, where I talk on how to be a missionary disciple would be fantastic. You know, how to actually live out this call to spread the faith in, in reality. Not like in a, an ideal or like a theoretical way, like, oh yeah, we're going to go to do this and do that. Like, and just in a real day-to-day way, how do I spread the faith? Right, something that's challenging for me, but not unreal. Mm-hmm. Those are the four ways that the Eucharist, the National Eucharistic Revival um, plans or kind of pushes for a parish to um, have this National Eucharistic Revival. For us as a diocese, there's two things that's, very, that's particular for our diocese. The first is these, uh, these Eucharistic passports that's going to be coming to every single parish. And our diocese, we have a lot of adoration chapels. Um, probably every single church has one. The passports are going to highlight, I don't know how many, maybe all of them, but um, definitely the most beautiful ones. And you're going to get a passport and say, okay, at this parish is this adoration. Here are the adoration times for it. And every time you go, you, you could stamp it. 
And the idea is that you complete your passport by the end of the year. So you visit, you actually do a pilgrimage throughout your diocese. And that's a beautiful idea because I tell people often they want to go on this pilgrimage to, you know, this or that, like outside the country. I ask them, it's like, have you visited the top five churches in our diocese? It was kind of cool when we were setting up for Holy Thursday Mass. Um, one of our parishioners by default, I don't think that they're actually a parishioner here, but I see them pretty often here, and they live in our territory. Um, she was taking her three kids around um, all day on Holy Thursday visiting. She was making a pilgrimage. They would go and they would say, a handful of prayers and our father, Hail Mary, glory be, maybe. Um, but they were stopping by each church and doing that. And I mean, her kids are small and I just thought, wow, that's a really cool. Yeah. That, that is beautiful because so many people haven't seen other churches in our diocese. Like if I was to list the top five most beautiful churches in our diocese, I don't, I wonder if, uh, if people have actually seen any of them. So, like, you don't have to go out of the country. There are churches that are here that are 100% built, like, in Italy. And they're just shipped over here. Right? So you have churches that look like they belong in Europe <laughs> that, that stay in our diocese. You don't have to go to Europe. Um, especially if you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. You can do your pilgrimage right here. And so these, these Eucharistic passports are going to help that, encourage that. The other thing is that in October, our diocese is going to have a Eucharistic Congress at the Cajun Dome uh, with the convention center. But we'll have national speakers. Uh, I want, uh, me as a priest, I want to see that place packed. I want to see people waiting outside for it. Because we're the most Catholic diocese in the nation. And we better act like it. You know, where the whole nation is in, a, is in a crisis. And we're having a Eucharistic Congress here in our own diocese. And, so, and where the whole diocese is invited. In October, let me see. It'll be October 5th. From 6 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Doable. Right? A Eucharistic Congress here in our own diocese. That'll be in October. All of this is going to be going on for this next year from Corpus Christi up until next Corpus Christi. It'll be beginning June 11th. The big thing it's pushing to, this will be the second year of the three year. The third year will be beginning with a twofold beginning. The first, the USCCB is advertising this and it's going to give me the goosebumps. They are orchestrating the largest and the longest Eucharistic procession in human history here in the United States. It will be a Eucharistic procession going on for about a month from the four corners of the United States, the four coasts, congregating in uh, Illinois, where they... Um, they will have the National Eucharistic Congress. The National Eucharistic Congress will be on, on June, um, I think, uh, 
think June 11th or maybe 18th. But it'll be coming through our own like area, like June 3rd, June 6th. It'll be beginning on May 18th of next year. And it will be it will begin from the four coast and going um, to all from beginning from the four coast. That will be a huge thing that uh, I'm actually very excited about. It will have this long Eucharistic procession and then congregating in our national Eucharistic Congress. We had one for our diocese. Now it's going to be on the national level. Uh, we'll see about getting a, a group of people there or anything like that. Because uh, space is, is limited. And then that will begin the third year. The third year of this year of going out on mission. Right? But with this upcoming parish year of revival, we'll, we'll begin to hear, Father Brady mentioned it in his homily. Um, but on Corpus Christi, we'll begin our year. And then that's, and you, so you'll hear much more about it. We'll be offering things as, there's a few things that uh, me and Father Brady were, were meeting about in regards to concretely what we were going to do. I'll, I kind of brought it, this is, I'll be open and honest, I brought it up to our leadership, and, uh, you know, I kind of said, look, we need to recognize in humility that we're doing fantastic in regards to a lot of these things. And uh, so I gave a few recommendations, and then after the meeting, Father Brady said, look, why don't me and you sit down? Because we need to do something. We're going to do something more for this. I was like, yeah, okay. And so, like, Father Brady uh, pushed me, pushed me to, to really make sure that uh, we're not just doing what they recommend, but we're going way above and beyond. And we're going we're gonna to really look at it. And we have a few ideas, but uh, we're going to do more than what uh, initially I thought was what we could do more. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Sweet. Well, I like it. So be on the lookout for that. Um, the Eucharist is, the church says, the source and summit of our faith. Um, it's the source. It is the root of all graces, right? And then it's the height that we can go to. Um, and the beauty is we get to receive our God as often as we would like. It's the, uh, the greatest love story ever told is in within a host. Yes, and the, and the, uh, every solution to every single problem, big and small, within the Eucharist. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have, be sure to share it with a friend, like us, and follow us on your podcast listener choice. We look forward to seeing you this weekend at night. God bless you.